Welcome back to the Helix and Gene Wellness Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest for you, Amir Bazorgzadeh, founder of VirtuLeap. VirtuLeap is a company that is focused on enhancing your cognitive performance through virtual reality and very intuitive neuroscientific programming and software. So this was a fascinating interview about a big, uncharted, and frankly, somewhat scary topic. We talked about things such as memory loss and cognitive function and Alzheimer's and all the different applications of virtual reality. So Amir, as you'll hear, is very well educated. He's an expert on the topic and very thoughtful and ethical in the way that he runs his company. So if you're curious about VR and all of its potential applications, you have clicked on the right episode. So thank you for tuning in. And without further ado, here is Sam, Amir Bezorgzardeh of VirtuLeap and myself. And thank you, and we'll see you at the end of the show. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Helix and Gene Medical Wellness Podcast. Today, we have a real cool guest, a little bit out of the norm of what we do. Um, Amir Bazorgzadeh, who's also a uh, fellow uh, Persian like myself, uh, first one on our podcast as well. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to have Amir on the show because Amir covers a, a world that is very new, very open, and something that I'm very much interested in. Uh, so Amir is inside the virtual reality world um, of Virtually, which is his company. And I'm going to allow him to kind of tell us a little bit about how Amir came to be where he is today. Well, welcome, Amir. Thanks for coming on to our show. Thank you for having me. It's it's a, a unique privilege uh, or pleasure to to hear a, a podcast host who says my, who doesn't even ask how to pronounce my last name. Uh, it's it's quite a unique experience. Um, every single time, I have to like brace myself and then and train the host because they they're adamant. Usually, they want me to break it down and show them how to pronounce it. By the way, it's it's a it's a very powerful last name. You know, just I, I gotta tell you. So for those of you that don't speak Farsi. Bozorg means big, huge, and Zade is son of. So, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's got a nice, very uh, ethnic, royal tone to it. So, you know, it's a powerful one that you don't forget. <laughs> Persians are, are very humble people. So we, yes. we take on names that are really, really uh, modest. Um, <laughs> we, we name each other after, you know, biblical uh, forces of nature. So there's not much to live up to. Um, but thank you for having me on the call. I, I'm a... I'm a, a Persian who was, uh, you know, who grew up in Vancouver, Canada. My uh, software is is Canadian. The hardware is is Persian for sure. But <laughs> I grew up watching all the the types of shows like Saved by the Bell and Doogie Howser's, and and that's my that's my uh, intellectual property that I'm running on. <laughs> I you know started out in market research. Uh, I was the kind of person in in, in my professional background. <clears throat> who was doing quantitative studies, uh, a ridiculous number of them, because they're just, you know, these, these kind of market studies happen online to thousands and thousands of, of individuals trying to statistically understand um, the human condition from a much more, you know, uh, high level in which the philosophy is that everybody is predictable. You know, any opinion can be stratified and segmented and, and that rolled into uh, a big, strong part of of my kind of fascination with data in it, in and of itself, uh, mm. the value of it, and also where you need to 
to be wary and, and weary and, and, and try to balance it with alternative ways of looking at it. Not everything can be quantified, but a lot of things can, and you have to balance the qualitative with the quantitative. I think a, a, good, a good share of my, my upbringing in terms of the first five years of my professional background was, was that with the background. And, when, and the, during the financial crash of 2008, 2009, I had relocated to Dubai, and, and during all of that, crazy storm of activity i got pushed and, and shifted into uh, as a games publisher in my background so uh games publishing became something for the next seven or eight years of, of my my work uh, where market research was always in market analysis uh kind of skills were uh surprisingly or unsurprisingly for anyone in the games industry numbers and statistics and and mathematics and understanding testing of all sorts of you know uh breeds and varieties uh, does come into it but I became, you know, the person in the Middle East where you would localize games, localize content. Uh, during that time, I had also launched a, a social impact startup called uh, Time Durham, which is based on the concept of time banking. Um, it's a it's a very cool community building concept in which you kind of commoditize time and be able to to earn it and and give it back uh, in a way that fosters kind of skill sharing amongst communities. In 2015, I decided to. Um, blast out of the Middle East and come to Europe. I uh, also took that time to transition into writing. Uh, I began writing for VentureBeat and TechCrunch for about three to four years and really dedicated to this sector that had increasingly become so enchanting to me for, for all sorts of different use cases, but invariably always relating to ed education or healthcare, and that is virtual reality. So I started writing about three, four years, not even earning a penny, just trying to understand what the heck this, this new uh, emerging technology is. And around 2017, I decided to venture off in a direction that I had pretty much become somewhat of a, a, a good-sized expert um, in the area. And I launched my company Virtually, which really is at the intersection of the neurosciences and virtual reality for the purpose of addressing cognitive disorders, learning challenges, and in general, enhancing cognitive performance. So what made you, what was it about cognitive performance? And at what point did you look, because I share this with you and said, okay, this is the future. This is really, if you're looking at it from a coding, if you're looking at it from a data analysis standpoint, if you want to understand behavior, if you want to really understand how we're wired, sort of say, as human beings, like this is the world we need to understand. We need to get into this cognitive world of neurology and I guess virtual leap, virtual reality, this, this is a portion a, a a effective way to kind of understand what that world is about on the one hand i've always been a complete junkie when it comes to psychological domains and and, and the people out there who really uh piqued my interest in the way they approached the understanding of the self the understanding of typologies mm -hmm. why are some people one way why are some people other ways you know carl jung was had been a very big um mm -hmm. Uh, played a very big role, at least in terms of scholastics and reading as a, as a layman, um, understanding one approach towards it. And of course, with Carl Jung, anyone who's familiar with Jungian um, uh, analytical psychology, uh, typologies plays a huge part. Uh, typologies has been something I've always been keen on, not so much from the point of view of astrology, but it, you know, typologies in a way that could be quantified. Even in market research, uh, typically people don't know, but when you're filling out questionnaires, there's typically algorithms uh, behind those questionnaires that segment you into certain profiles. Um, there's a good way and bad way in which this reflects in marketing and, and, and sort of commercial sides of things. And then there's a real 
um, domain in which this type of you know, psychological approach leads you to better understand yourself, your tendencies. When we look into virtual reality, the superpower of the technology is that it literally hijacks the human system. I, I really mean this literally. Like when, when we have, we have about, I don't know, five, six, 7,000 studies out there worldwide, and they're all more or less indicating that virtual reality plays a special role in the fact that that autonomic nervous system, when you convey a reality that is alternative to the one of you sitting in your living room, if you are suddenly magically transported to the visual sense, into uh, you know an avatar world, uh, you know somewhere mesmerizing. We're not designed to live in two worlds, and so the human system authentically is is engaged in this reality in such a way that the other senses, the kind of follow suit. When the visual sense is shown a double reality, the rest of the senses follow suit and they're hijacked equally. And so there's applications in all sorts of scientific and medical areas like pain management and um, you know treating phobias and all sorts of cognitive behavioral uh, domains and therapeutic areas. Now, from my point of view, and of course I'm drinking the Kool-Aid of, of being a, a founder in, in this sector, is I think when it comes to hijacking the cognitive systems of an individual from head to toe, uh, the autonomic nervous system, the vestibular balance system, the, our proprioception, then we are able to gauge someone's not just psychometric psychology side of things, but also their, we're tracking and capturing their physical, their postural, their gesticulation of their arms, um, and their physiological. So the headsets have people dilation tracking, skin connectivity, heart rate variability. They're tracking all of these physiological sensors, not to mention the EEGs and the EMGs that we're, we're, we're starting to put into play as well. So we're able to capture for the very first time an unprecedented amount of data that really can tell us what is the, the psychological profile of the individual in various circumstances. It, it's the most in-depth. It's an order of magnitude, if not two orders of magnitude, um, more insights being captured. And of course, with more data doesn't mean more insights, but it really does open the door to something that for $300 a pop, any individual can kind of have access to now. It's, it's really remarkable. I don't think most people out there in the, in the community, uh, at least on, uh, you know, as layman's, understand what kind of technology that anybody can get their hands on right now. So uh, that was a really excellent, clear explanation of, of what you do. And that was awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, the one thing that I worry about or pay attention to here is, so in terms of the product itself, the, 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 the virtual reality glasses or whatever it is, right. Um, <clears throat> in terms of collecting the type of data that you just talked about. Is that device itself collecting all of those things? Or do you need an additional wearable um, to be able to collect that data and connect the software with one another? Right. So the evolution of VR headsets in the last five years has been pretty crazy. The, the hardware iteration, you know, when people talk about the singularity and the cycles keep on getting smaller and smaller and smaller, that's really reflected with VR. About four or five years ago, the popular headset was a what we call a three-doff headset, so three degrees of freedom. It meant that basically it was a glorified 360 viewer. You, you, you're, you're in a, a you know, 3D um, environment, but it doesn't respond to you and it, you don't respond to it. When you move, it doesn't move, but it, when it moves, 
um, you're not moving. And so that causes a lot of nausea back in the original days of a lot of people complaining about the discomforts of, of VR. But that wasn't actually true VR. Uh, quickly after, we had the first generation of, of six, off, six degrees of freedom um, hardware. And now these headsets um, have six degrees of freedom, external sensors. You're able to move around and, and the content is responding to you and vice versa. And that means that now you can collect uh, physical data. Um, and that's the, that's the current generation. All that physical data of gesticulation, of arms wagging around, you can be able to track and sense the most subtle of, of handshaking, you know, the most silent autonomic nervous system sort of, uh, you know, um, vibrations that actually do mean something in, in the literature. Um, and, you know, they can translate into so many insights. So physicality data is in every uh, six dog headset that's available right now, but the physiological sensors that we just spoke of, and the reason I think you brought this up, um, there's a, a current generation since last year of headsets that now have these physiological sensors, not just um, the pupil dilation tracking, for example, but but the face tracking, the muscles of the face. You know, um, eye tracking in and of itself is a treasure trove of of insights that might be like one of the golden, you know, the the seats of the soul or no, what was it? The, the gates of the soul. I, I yeah. forget which, which term it is, but, <laughs> but um, uh, those headsets are so brand new that they aren't necessarily as common as the ones that already have the physicality. But to answer you, what's the movement and the, trans, the, the, the road ahead and what we're seeing right now is that it's becoming uh, pervasive in all headsets, all of those layers of, of data. So there's so there's a couple of different things here too, right? So you're talking about a three hundred dollar headset that you purchase. We're talking about the actual virtual reality that you see, you know, uh, the Oculus or you know whatever it may be, correct? Yeah. Um, so in terms of you know, well, two things. One, there is the there is the games, and then there is the theoretical studies within the games that you guys are putting together, so you can capture the information that you're getting from people, right? Um, to see how you can improve specific cognitive functions. If you know, for me, we're in the prevention world, Matt and I, right? So we we have a training system in Zen Fifty Seven that's strictly based on physiological neural, you know, neuroanatomy understanding how to get your body to do certain things and your breath work in certain ways where your nervous system gives you certain responses. Now, in terms of being able to measure that from a consumer standpoint of a growing wellness business like we are, right, that would be interested, let's say, in creating a platform, a game that measures all of these markers that we're looking for. Is that an area that you guys personally are looking into or is more of what you're doing something that has to do with figuring out the cognitive functions that can help better people with Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's and mm. other issues that are happening right now? It's like a blue ocean, you know, is the first answer that uh, all these different people are coming out out um, and out of the woodwork and, and they're a mix of scientists and game developers that typically those are the two kind of hats you need to put together. And then you have uh, VR environments that can be uh, purposed for all sorts of different tasks and missions. For example, the ones that you're mentioning kind of relate to me to a lot of experiments that are being done by the leading uh, neuroscientists across at least the US from what I'm aware. Yep. Um, individuals like Adam Ghazali out in the West Coast, um, you know, Walter Greenleaf, uh, Albert Skip Rizzo, a lot of these pioneers of VR healthcare applications, 
they're going to be implementing um, not just the VR headsets, but they're going to put in like, for example, um, exercise equipment and, and, and make them adapt together so that um, the physicality of the movement is, is, is connected with the VR headset. Perhaps there's other kinds of techniques that are meditative or, or more, um, more interactive and more requiring interaction from the individual so that they have to do a certain task that might be physiological, might be like breath work, and they can sense that something is happening and the content will only respond when those things happen. Now, what you're talking about is a bleeding of bleeding edge, um, the, the, the right direction of the best neuroscientists out there are, are going in that direction. Um, in terms of the technology that we have created, it is um, at the very beginning of, of what we've accomplished in the last three years, we've created a library of 15, you know, we call them games, but they're, you know, it's just easier to call them cognitive games than calling them gamified neuropsychological assessment tools. You know, that's just that I'll, I'll lose my breath if I say that every time. So, so for short, we call them cognitive games, but they were all designed by neuroscientists as translations of very standardized neuropsychological assessment tools that have been around for decades and decades. And, um, you know, the names of these things are like the Stroop test and the NBAC test. They're tests that neurologists will use to assess you, your cognitive health, especially if you're an individual who in their older years is starting to be concerned about, you know, uh, your, your trajectory towards things like scary things like, like uh, Lewy body syndrome or, or, or Alzheimer's, the, the typical thing to uh, pay attention to um, for our cognitive health over time is um, something we, we refer to subjective memory decline or uh, mild cognitive impairment, you know, moments when you start to notice you're, you're, you're forgetting things. And, and that's actually the clue that you should start to do tests, tests that are really commonly used and standardized. We take a lot of those things that are typically through the taboo of people not wanting to do assessments to figure out anything too soon that ruins their day. You know, um, you know, you you want to you want you don't want to know that you're you're in memory decline, right? We want to feel we, that's the last thing I think. Uh, Bill Gates was saying, you know, the the only thing he's scared of, the really only thing he's scared of, is when his brain stops working. Um, um, it is a it is a very tragic fate that we want to avoid even looking at, and it's a taboo. So, and it's also inaccessible. You have to make an appointment with your GP, and then the GP leads you to a neuro a neurologist if the if if an initial test leads you to wanting to do that. What we're trying to do is democratize access at the very first stage of Virtual Leaps Evolution as a company, democratize access to the bleeding edge of neuropsychological assessments um, created in a way that every top neuroscientist says, this is the way it's supposed to be done. They didn't cut any corners. This is, um, you know, uh, like Stanford VR has vetted everything we do. It took a lot of years before we could even, you know, make a buck from anything. We just had to gruel through it and do it properly, um, which takes a lot of time. And what we've done is create a library of these short, fun, but intense Mary Poppins sort of, uh, you know, sugar helps the medicine go down assessments. And, and the whole idea is to give it access to not just a lot of, you know, direct individuals, but also create a backend system that allows us to partner with institutes and work with using this as a new uh, gold standard of cognitive assessment but also because of all the data side we just talked about the volumetric data sets we're also the next generation of data collection period understood that's fabulous go ahead matt yeah amir i have a question if um if i have started to notice some memory loss and forgetting things here and there and i haven't yet started using virtual leap to protect myself against that is it too late for me is my memory gonna am i gonna be able to reverse that or is it just gonna keep getting worse that's the kind of 
you know, response that will land me in, in notoriety jail or something like that, you know, the, 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 the real, the, 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 no comment is, is the first answer. You know, what we, what we, what you look at when, when someone like myself and I'm the only non-technical person on the team. Okay. So I'm the least likely to even answer your question unless this was not recorded and we were, you know, at the bar, or something. Uh, you know, um, but the, the answer to your question has to be like, a, you know, around, has to go around a few blocks, which is when I read a lot of the neuroscience papers that come out constantly from all around the world, a lot of them will indicate a little bit of this, a little bit of that trajectory, a little bit, there's a huge landscape of what they're figuring out. You know, sometimes certain exercises can, can, can have an impact on certain specific cognitive domains, but not necessarily universal the around the you know the whole you know human cognition in and of itself for for example um you know when when i see a lot of people try to refer to the power of this kind of technology the the usual uh term that you'll hear is transferability will playing these games regularly be able to help me remember my grocery list better will help me do my taxes better will that make me a little bit more uh lucid um, with my memory recall of those, those names that I heard from those people at conferences, you know, like, the, does it relate to my daily life activities? That's the real um, important thing of the therapeutic applications of playing these games, or you do an assessment that gives you this kind of information. And can I do things in my lifestyle, like exercise, like good eating, good, like, like special techniques that I learned from a monastery hidden in the, you know, the Alaskan hilltops or whatever. Um, all those things, can they reverse things? It, it's, it's, this is the most uncharted territory of anything. I mean, I think it's just as, as scary, the neuroscience landscape and what works for what type of person and what might not work for the other type of person, all those formulas and so on. We're in the most uncharted territory, um, just as uncharted, uncharted as the, as our, as our deep, uh, you know, blue oceans. Um, and it's always scary how little we know about the actual, what's what's beneath those waters It's the same thing with our unconscious our our cognition that's not to say we don't know anything but um what you just said is like you know you, what you asked is something that um really is specific to you and who you are and your genetic background and all those types of things that have not yet been uh, understood in such a way that we can just at, tell one human being specifically um an answer I think um, right now we're more on the general side of things of what generally speaking is good and what generally speaking is something to avoid. Like ignorance is something to avoid. The more knowledge, the more assessments you do, the more things you're aware of, the more empowered you are with that knowledge so you can do whatever you can and learn about yourself and what works for you. So Amir, uh, you know, as a segue to that, you know, we were talking about this incredible world and this really fun and exciting avenue of um, neuroscience and virtual reality and combining it all together. We're talking about proper nutrition and exercise and how it all combines. Being that virtual reality is fairly new, right? The obstacles here in terms of, well, is there a detriment to wearing these things for X amount of time over a 20 year period, over a 30 year, <laughs> right? So like, well, this is, this is the stuff that, you know, we face when it comes to nutrition, supplementation, you know, and, and things that come out that haven't been tested over a period of time, right? So right. where, how do you, or, or is it just, we're not there yet. So there is no answer. Sometimes it's that simple, right? right? <laughs> uh, but it, you know, how do you guys, 
kind of account for that portion of this world. This is one of the coolest or scariest or creepiest areas of discussion because there's a few ways to approach it. One is I just saw an article, another article, I think, uh, sorry, news uh, and news about um, uh, another paper that came out and it was talking about kids who were playing lots of video games have IQs that are higher uh, than kids who didn't play those video games. And of course, the, the, the data on that wasn't like, you know, gets <laughs> universal again, right? right? It's a certain indication of seeing something. Um, very debatable. Uh, but the science there was, was showing a positive thing related to video games, which my mom would disagree with completely, uh, even if, <laughs> if I showed her the research now. Uh, same thing with VR, where I, I think there's a research that shows immersiveness in VR uh, has a certain cognitive benefits. You know, the sad thing about humanity is that, you know, if I were to create a simulcrum, a virtual reality environment of my living room right here, I would be more, uh, you know, engaged to that virtual version of my living room, even though it's exactly the same. I'm like, oh my God, it's a moving door in virtual reality. And the novelty of the novelty circuitry starts to like fire like crazy. I'm so engaged. The, the sad thing about humanity, I think the human condition is that we habitualize um, the normal things, the, 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 the repetitive things, and we start to no longer see them as novel. And that makes us less engaged. And then, the, you know, it just, it just kind of goes down um, in terms of lucid, lucid, you know, viv vividness. Um, and VR can engage us in ways that kind of brings us back to interest about the most normal things because it's, it's in virtual reality. So um, there's that, that, the positive side of what I've seen. Now, the, the more negative side, and one thing that I, I most strongly kind of object to is I don't believe virtual reality is designed to be a pervasive thing. I don't want to be in Neo's uh, The Matrix. You know, I want to use virtual reality for short, sweet, intense surgical experiences that let me transcend space and time for a short period of time that allows me to get back into the real world and engage in that world, the world I care about, in a more effective way. If I have any type of, you know, psychological uh, hiccup in VR, you can have it create a safe laboratory, like, la you know, it's like a laboratory, you know, um, safe, secure, um, high quality experience that allows me to, um, you know, use exposure therapy to lessen my fear of heights, to lessen my fear of, you know, people and, and proximity, proximities. Um, there's so many amazing, uh, uh, scenarios and, and, and circumstances that I can navigate with the help of VR. Um, but that's my particular interest is that virtual reality is for under 20 minutes, under 15 minute experiences. That's certainly how we've created everything on our end. It's not supposed to be any longer than 15 minutes. We call it the daily cognitive workout, which is exactly 15 minutes or less. How, how did you come up with that number, 15 minutes? Um, you know, I, I wrote a, my first article in 2008 and I didn't write back then, but I just felt interested in this. It was called, it was an article on, on back then I was in market research and um, I was doing quantitative studies, you know, questionnaires. And I found uh, that the, the sweet spot of respondent uh, engagement and the sweet spot where you start to hit respondent fatigue, people start to just stop paying attention and start responding in a mechanical way. They're no longer paying attention to what they're answering is seven minutes. Um, now, uh, we could see that in the data, we could see that certain answers, the quality of things would just degrade after around seven minutes. And I wrote that article about that with mm -hmm. VR, a lot of user testing, uh, focus groups and, and the like, we find that to be a little bit longer, but after a certain point of time, um, uh, we find that 
you know, certain things start to normalize. And from the point of view of a cognitive assessment, we need engagement at the highest level. We, you, humans are designed to habituate everything. They get, they like the, the brain, I think, what was it? Daniel Kahneman's book about, you know, uh, uh, the brain um, um, being designed to habituate processes so that it can economize uh, energies. Um, it wants you to habituate things and, and start actually not paying attention because it's a lot of calories are required in being uh, in, right. in concentration, right? So 15 minutes has been more or less our companies, you know, under the the, um, the dictator Amir um, philosophy of the design of our things is everything is about 15 minutes or less and ideally around 10 minutes. So I'm really always going within short spans of time. Uh, last thing I just want to say before I, I, I break off and, and, and pass the microphone is there's also things in VR that we have to be very, very um, mindful of. In the, in, in, I said that the human system is hijacked. So, for example, there's a lot of use cases like for phantom limb syndrome, being able to uh, treat phantom limb syndrome. Certain psychological mm -hmm. disorders can be treated there. There's a lot of things that can be, you know, be done in a positive way. But then, for example, on the flip side, imagine you're in a VR um, environment for like an hour and your avatar uh, the arms are longer than your brain currently uh, understands in a very subconscious way the normal length of your arms. Now, you're doing that so long that you're tricking the brain for so long that your brain starts to get confused about the length of your arm and you go back into the real world and you don't know how to pick up uh, a glass. You, you can't reach it far enough or you're unable to mess with your spatial orientation programming. There's a huge um, danger, very real about messing with, 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 uh, your reality Absolutely. in VR. You're going to need decompression chambers in the future when people want to get out of long form VR and go back into the real world. <laughs> so it's, you know, so, yeah, so, so, I mean, that's, this is all so exciting and so cool. And, you know, one of the sub, one of the topics that I want to talk to you about, um, because it's, it's, a, it's personal for me is you know, I'm starting to notice a lot of these um, fitness, uh, virtual reality that it's starting to grow within the fitness world, right? It's starting to, you know, even myself, I have a system that can be utilized for virtual reality. In terms of, well, let me ask you a few questions and then you can shoot. So first, how how is the growth that you're seeing on that? Or is that not on your radar because you guys are not doing that, A? Hmm. B, um, where do you see the growth in that happening over the next like where, three years, five years? Because, you know, that industry is usually the first one to leap into this kind of stuff, right? It's, it's more of that maverick mindset, right? Um, and, you know, and, 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 and C, the third thing is um, what are the limits? Like, you know, like you talked about these guys that were talking about mixing machinery with the cognitive, which would mean you'd actually be sitting on some sort of equipment, working your muscles while mentally somewhere else. Um, you know, that is a whole nother <laughs> realm right there. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so can you just give us a little feedback on where you are in this? The pandemic really accelerated things, but it's still the direction that things were going. Uh, a lot of these, right. the, you right. know, a lot, a lot of universities are always playing around with these types of applications, and, and then they're not really, you know, um, going into the mainstream market. But, but with the pandemic, a lot of people were interested in telehealth, telehealth training, teleworkouts, tele this, tele that. 
you know, that, that word has been overused now. And yeah. may, maybe there's going to be a backswing of a little bit now that we're getting back into the real world and we like to go and see sunsets. We're not, yes. We don't want to go and see virtual sunsets. Um, you know, um, a lot of applications that I saw during the pandemic get a little popular. I don't think they're going to be as popular, but I think you're completely correct in seeing and witnessing that fitness in virtual reality is a, is a, not necessarily a craze, but it's, it's, um, it has a real solid base of users that when they try it for their first time, they're blown away. Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of stories of people who are typically not the sort that feel comfortable or are engaged enough to go to the gym or go to you know yoga classes or go externally into the world and feel comfortable in that. But they, there's so many stories that I came across of people who um, weren't that sort of you know type that were playing Fit XR or Black Box VR or Supernatural, all these different um, VR fitness uh, applications, and they were losing pounds, they were losing things, they were gaining confidence, they were like getting transformed through a VR fitness experience. It's so engaging because again, it hijacks the human experience, yeah. adds top-notch music, great training uh, curriculums and and experiences. Uh, Supernatural, as an example, was purchased or acquired by Meta. Well. Now I'm not calling them Facebook anymore or Oculus, <laughs> but they, I, I don't even know what the hell to call them anymore. But Meta is the right word yeah. at the moment. They acquired them for $400 million. So almost half a billion bucks for a fitness VR company, right? Wow. So that tells you something in terms of, of one indicator, but I can tell you from first count experience, um, the, the, the experience of being in VR uh, during COVID, my, my wife was uh, in, 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 in VR, one of the VR apps and she was going crazy. And I'm like videotaping this insanity, you know, and uh, after a while it just became normal. And um, I just, you know, typically in any new product cycle, any hype cycle of technologies, you have a certain industries that push the way forward, right? It's gaming, uh, or, uh, sorry, like, you know, video games versus uh, gambling, gambling. And then, of course, por porno uh, for sure has always pushed those things because yeah. payment processing, bandwidth, all those things. And then every other industry benefits from the advances that those industries, which are so add uh, not addictive necessarily, but that plays a role. Um, fitness now is a new category in the VR stage that I think because of the the, the because it's an embodied digital format and motor controls are, are, are innate in the experience of VR in a way they've never been um, in any previous digital format. Um, because of that, now fitness is one of those primary movers and shakers of making the, the, the technology move forward. What you mentioned at the end of, uh, of what you just said, it's a new category called extra gaming. You know, exercise gaming, extra gaming. Um, and then it's gonna move into maybe some you know, areas where I don't think it's gonna really hit off very well but i think when it comes to rehabilitation um you know cognitive rehabilitation for people in sports you know uh, yeah. you get a concussion you use one of these extra gaming platforms that has virtual reality along with motor control gadgets i think you're going to see those in really good use cases and then you're going to see a lot of you know um, embarrassing uh, mishaps which are typical for any emerging technology right, right. okay excellent so in terms of you know, what's next and, and how you guys in Virtual Leap are moving forward, right? Um, what is the next step for your company? What are you, what are you hoping to achieve over the next year, um, over the next five years? Um, and just if you can just give us a little bit of where you're headed. Sure. Like, you know, like I mentioned, it took us a few years to even build up this library of, right. of, of, of cognitive games because you need enough of them. At least 15 is the number we needed. Um, 
so that when you play all these 15 games, you get a full snapshot, your landscape of your cognitive performance. When you play our games, you see where your where your strong side is. Like for example, I'm really strong with with uh, short-term memory, uh, episodic memory, some attention areas, but I'm really mediocre when it comes to spatial orientation. And if I, you know, Patricia and me were walking around some one of these, these cute small towns in Europe, but they're like labyrinths. She always laughs at me about how I get lost so easy. Like I'm already senile when it comes to spatial orientation from her <laughs> point of view. She's like, we've been here seven days. You still don't know where you're going. And you know, you see that in my scores in the games we've created. You see everybody is a, a, a spider web of certain, you know, challenge areas and certain strength areas. And what humans, from my point of view, always glorify is their strengths and they avoid their Achilles heels, even though the real, I think, beauty of of self-development is when you just you find out what your Achilles heels is underdeveloped areas and you develop that because wholeness matters more than over exaggerated development of one particular area but of course you know western society especially we just love caricatures you know we don't we don't like wholeness we don't like developing our, our weak spots really i think most people love to ignore them you know that's their that's their main thing and self-development to them is over developing their their what they're already strong at but anyway i i i I, um, they, 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 need, they, need, they need to read more Carl Jung. That's why <laughs> they, need to, they, need to, they need to, you know, they need to feel whole, more whole. I think that's what that's where the good, the good stuff is. But you know, we've created these fifteen games now, and we have two clinical studies currently underway. One in Spain. It's focused on whether we can slow down cognitive um, deterioration or cognitive decline in people with type two diabetes mellitus, because that that at risk group has two times risk factor towards developing Alzheimer's. And the academic partner over there, Val de Braun in Barcelona, actually here in Barca Barcelona, uh, is, is running that study. We have an SBIR NIH study in the US. We're actually uh, running it on people with Alzheimer's. And in that study, we're actually mapping the gaming patterns of people with Alzheimer's so we could create algorithms that could potentially detect cognitive decline. For example, Matt, you're, you're, you were mentioning it, but can we have algorithms that know the patterns of cognitive decline so that it can it can already, you know, anticipate it 25 years before. Like that, that pattern has to start somewhere. You made a question and I didn't really answer it, but if you spot a pattern, it's at one point in the pattern. It really matters when in the pattern you can come in so you can have the most impact of making that, 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 that loop as, as high as possible so that, you know, the decline is as low as possible. It doesn't matter when you see it, it's when you see it. And the earlier, the better, of course. And in that study, we're trying to create those algorithms. We just last month won a pilot with our first pharma partner, Roche. And again, it's in Alzheimer's, it's in dementia. This is a real important spot for us because it's just the one we see us having a great impact in. But ultimately, we've created a, a platform uh, where we have partners that are trying to address ADHD, that are trying to address chemo brain, that are trying to address long COVID, that are trying to address uh, traumatic brain injury. We want it to be a library of, 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 of exercises in VR that are ultimately reused uh, and repurposed for, you know, a, a whole range, um, a gamut of different cognitive issues, cognitive disorders, even mental health states. There's one pharma company that we're in touch with right now that wants to use us for correlating mental health disorders like depression. Because when you have depression, you have uh, always uh, deficits in attention and memory skills. And you can correlate those two things. If you can start working on those cognitive areas, will it improve your depression? Does it go both ways? There's a lot of interesting areas, but uh, I think the one you know area that we're always focused on is how we can help 
you know, neuroscience-based drugs on the pharma side get out into the market faster. We have a real need for that in society. Um, on the other hand, I want to be able to give a tool for kids in K-12 schools, uh, you know, people in, in, in the general population, the ability to not even have to use those drugs in the first place um, before we get that bad. So on that, that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask you next, right? So, so you look at that, now you're talking about the prevention world, right? Now you're talking about creating a space and, and, and a, a place for kids at a younger age to be able to create a frequency, a platform of operation where those depression, anxiety, those things don't have the mechanism to kick in as fast if, because the firewall sort of say over the years in prevention that they're building over time has been able to establish that. So in that sense, do you then take a guy like me who's 42, who's about 7% body fat, who eats perfect nutrition, who has been training his nervous system for 20 years and now has 523 straight days of training in my cognitive training method myself. And go, and, and as my wife says, you know, we're, we're out to dinner the other night and we're with a couple of people and she's talking to this other female friend of hers and she goes, you know, Sam is never in a bad mood. He's always happy. She's like, I don't understand it. And the lady looks at me and she goes, you're so lucky. And I'm like, I'm not lucky. I just put in the work. If you put in the work like I did, you would feel exactly like me. There's nothing special about me other than the fact that I get up at 4 a.m. and put in the work and eat to do the nutrition and do all of those components. So I would love to take your test myself to see kind of where I rank in terms of all of those cognitive functions, given the amount of time and dedication of my life that I put mm. towards this at this age, right? So, you know, to look at a baseline and say, okay, well, here's where this guy's firing away because he's doing all of this, you know, isn't that also a really good method of looking to see where someone could be and then looking back at that pattern and seeing what needs to be done in order to get somebody to that state from a young age instead of just when the shit hits the fan sort of say, how do we fix it? <laughs> Well, I mean, again, like, you know, you, you, uh, some people, you know, we in general want formulas, we want to be able to call baselines, and we have that, we have it set up because that's how the, you know, healthcare institutions are operating, they need baselines, right. they need to have statistics be the most important thing, whereas outliers always exist. And in a world where statistics is the main way of approaching things, outliers don't matter. It's like the, it's the group mind, group base. I mean, there's a universe of just Sam, the Sam universe. And then there's a Sam universe of multiverse, let's say, with all the Marvel movies, where mm -hmm. there was different versions of Sam uh, living a different lifestyle, making different choices, not yes. deciding to wake up at 4 a.m. The Sam of potentiality versus the Sam of, you know, unrealized potentiality. And, you know, we're talking to uh, a version of the Sam, I think that you know, if you were any more uh, engaged with your own well-being and whole, wholesomeness and all these kind of important things that you just value so highly that you will put the effort into it. This version of Sam, I don't think there's a, a higher level version unless if, if we were in that multiverse, you'd probably be jumping around or, or doing, you know, doing this interview while upside down. Right. right. Um, you know, you're you're engaged to that level, but I always would want to compare you to the to the, the continuum of Sam's um, because. Uh, I do believe that's that's one approach that that resonates with me. Um, when you compare yourselves uh, with, with everybody of humanity, it's not so important to me that Sam's um, cognitive landscape is like exceedingly higher than the other group because maybe 
human cognition isn't designed to just be amped all the time in all these ways. It's that you have a self-knowledge of yourself and a self-understanding that you apply your you know, super skills and, and way of approaching things, adapting spontaneously um, in every moment in a way that's more about consciousness and so on. You know, I, um, that's when I think about you. I know it's, I don't talk, I don't go on these calls uh, with people uh, with your profile, with the approach that, you know, you and your friends and your, and your colleagues ultimately approach things. Usually they're very na uh, narrowly focused in the way that the scientific protocols are always, you know, baptizing everyone to think like, yeah. I think from the way that you are, um, your, your only competitor is yourself. And that's yep. the most healthy way. I think to to approach all of this, and I know I don't think I've answered uh, some of your questions, but um, maybe I have in, in in certain ways. No, you totally have, and, and and I thank you for that. And that and you know it, it's like you said for me, it's just a dedication. I've dedicated my life to doing this, like you've dedicated your life to doing what you're doing. You know, it's 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 uh, it's time in versus time out, right? Like what what are you putting in? It's that simple. We always say there's no substitution for the work. Um, you know, and, and, and that really is that in terms of Amir, you know, if somebody wants to learn more about what you guys do in terms of your growth, are you guys something that is now available to the average person where they can go somewhere, take your tests, or are you still in a stage where you're trying to raise more funding growth or both, or where are you? Can you tell our audience a little bit about how they can get you there? Yeah, so we're, we've always been um, making our content available to the public uh, for the last few years in different stages, from alpha to beta to full full release. Where if you have a you know a, a Meta Quest Two or any of the major headsets, you can find us in those stores. But we never market. It's just people who like you know it's a mom whose son just had a traumatic brain injury and wants to use our software for that. It's a seventy year old man who's just really really. Uh, um, not concerned, but engaged with making sure that long, healthy longevity of their mind is is proactively something they put as, you know, a dedicated part of their lives. Um, so people can access our stuff by just going to the, any of the the VR app stores and finding the application. If it's an organization, if it's an institute, um, a clinical institute that is in the neurosciences for any of these therapeutic areas um, that benefit from our technology, um, you know, we have a backend solution, enterprise platform. That's the thing we kind of license. And I'm always looking forward, not to necessarily make that a sales situation and really a partnership where we apply to grants together and really apply our solution to see, can it have a huge benefit in the areas that we hypothesize it, it has to, um, because of the way we've designed it, but we are fundraising, um, at the moment, um, in, in any, any organizations that are, um, have an investment arm. A lot of hospitals and so on have investment arms, or or even investors that are into this space of transhumanism or cog, cog, you know, cognitive health is one of their you know interested categories. Um, love to hear from them. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'd be happy to to speak with anyone who has a vested interest in the future of our cognitive health. I love that. And 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 Amir, I'm gonna you know I we can you and I can sit here and talk all day long, and I definitely want to do a. 2.0 version of this. And I'm sure you and I will be talking a lot more off the air, um, you know, in terms of uh, the future and, and growth and where we can combine heads. Um, but, you know, and that, with that being said, we're going to put everything inside the show notes for everybody to pay attention to and how they can learn more about Virtual Leap, about Amir, about how everything works. Um, and uh, I want to really thank you for coming on this show, Amir. And uh, it really was a, uh, a mental journey and a blast to have this conversation with you. 
it was an absolute pleasure to uh, to spend this time with the the you know multiverse version of Sam living at his potential <laughs> and, and Coach Matt Freed. Really a pleasure meeting you as well. So thank you for having me on likewise, the show. Likewise. One one Sam is enough. I just want to throw that out there. We don't need more than one Sam so, in the universe. <laughs> so, but seriously, Amir, Amir, we actually though actually you you know your answers to our questions, which really were questions that of course you can't make any predictions about promises about future medical results. They were they were excellent answers to big important questions that people I think are a little scared of in some cases. Uh, and that's why we asked some of those questions. And, and this is a frontier uh, that's a little scary and unknown, as we discussed. And I've even heard it, you know, some, heard it described as, um, you know, this is the next big battle is for to understand ourselves. And and you alluded to it earlier in the podcast with this. Some some of this can be used for for bad, for negative purposes. Mm. Um, and we have to we have to you know what, do you, what I'd be curious to know if you have time for one more question. What are your thoughts on that? You know. Is is this the is this uh, you know is this is this, is this uh, is this the next big battle that we're facing? You know, do we need to know ourselves better than those other algorithm algorithms that might be out, uh, not have our best interest at heart? You know, than they know us. Does that does that make sense? You know, it's it's. You, I don't think we can fathom the challenges that are coming ahead. Uh, you know, deep fakes and technologies that are trying to understand us and not necessarily our whole selves, but in the ways that can poke us in the right directions so we can buy the right things or go in the right, you know, path of the labyrinth as, as, as rats. I mean, that is all out there and it's going to be continuously creative. But what I notice with humanity is always that we counterbalance everything just like the rest of nature. And whenever there's forces in one way, there's always forces creating technologies to counterbalance it. So I do have faith that we can navigate these waters in a certain way that is, you know, equilibrious, just like everything else. But when you look at, you know, TV shows like Altered Carbon and they're using VR as the ultimate torture uh, t interrogation system. When I talk about curing phobias in VR, then that it's a double edged sword. You can probably create phobias in VR. Um, bad practices and user design when the digital format hijacks the human system innately, inherently, when that's the case and you're able to cause as much harm as you can good. I mean, we need to start instituting um, and there are people and there are organizations that are applying these kinds of um, you know, community building um, best practices of what is the right way to design things. What's the wrong way? How do we review things? How do we evaluate things? You know, in the time of mobile applications, any kid can cut, go and just launch an Angry Birds clone and make like gazillion dollars and nothing really stops them. But with VR, you could cause a heart attack. Maybe you could maybe do something that is, 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 um, is, hurtful in, you know, in a way that the creator didn't intend. This is all things that we don't really know. And so I really believe that when we, you know, in terms of virtual leap, we have an accessibility design expert that right from the ground up is always designing things for whether someone's colorblind, whether someone's mobility restricted, whether someone um, has mo um, motion sickness, uh, you know, and as, as something that happens as a tendency. So we, we embed all of that into the way we create the content, but we can't expect everyone to do that. And we're not, you know, a big uh, multinational that has the resources to try to, you know, instill that kind of best practice into um, other creators. And that, that's my worry. My worry is when people just use this 
you know, I, I'm thinking of uh, Spider-Man right now with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> right. You know, it, it really is a case of that. And not just VR, all the technologies that we're getting now connected to can have this harm. Like, you know, the, 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 the kind of Fitbits and all these technologies that give us all this insights. What if they start giving insights that are really insinuating things that the person's placebo engine causes to happen as a self, you know, prophesizing, uh, you know, manifestation. Yeah. It's, you have to be, we have to be very ethical. We have to be very mindful um, and, and use this technology respectfully. I love that. And what a great way to, uh, what a great way to end the show. And you know, what I love about what I, when, you know, when, when I asked you to be a guest on the show, one thing I just want to add on here is that when I looked into who you are and what you do, um, and then we spoke, I really, really loved that you were, you were, you are an outlier, yet you take all the proper precautions ethically to make sure you're putting out the best product possible. That's how we run our wellness company. Um, we, we categorize all the best tools possible under the best practices possible and with the best possible application to the user at the end of the day. And, uh, and it's good to see somebody in this world doing that. So everybody look out for virtual leap. And, uh, and I'm excited to do some stuff with you myself in the future. So, um, Amir, thank you so much for coming on this show. You're the man. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's ahead for you in the future. Thank you again for having me. It's really been an awesome hour to spend with you. Pleasure. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, guys. All right, there you have it. That was Sam Amir Bazorgzadeh from Virtual Leap and myself talking about VR and cognitive performance. That was an awesome interview and it opened so many more questions. We hope to have Amir on again in the future. Uh, so many questions came to mind for me, such as how ubiquitous, ubiquitous will VR be? Will we all have headsets to the degree that we all watch TV one day? These are things that we'll talk with him about in the future, hopefully. But I hope that you all can appreciate his answers. Of course, he was not able to uh, promise that, you know, his programs could, you know, prevent your memory loss. No one could say that. But what he did say was, uh, I thought very thoughtful uh, for, and you know, more than enough for you to consider if you wanna have a cognitive daily workout that might include 10 to 15 minutes of virtual reality. I know I could speak for myself and say that I do. So we'll link to everything in the show notes. Show notes. Uh, you can connect with Amir on LinkedIn and virtualleap.com, and we'll put all those links below. And of course, as always, if you're interested in learning more about Helix and Gene's science-based nutrition programs about weight loss, visit helixandgene.com. And for more about Zen 57, a daily cognitive physical training program that we have that will awaken your spiritual warrior within, visit zen57.com. Thanks again for tuning into the Helix and Gene Wellness Podcast. On behalf of Sam and Amir, this is Coach Matt signing off. Take care.